Some of you may have been here when I did the four-part series on the Gospels. I have a microphone, and I don't know if you, some of you were through all of them, or some of them, or you have your own questions about the Gospels. So we're going to cover the Gospels, and maybe also open it up to the Book of Acts, because that's related as well. And if you have any questions from... Uh, what we covered, any kind of puzzles or things that you wanted to th ask about or think about or make a comment about. Can you pass this down? I'll just... Uh, over there. You have to press the, press the power button. Hello? Okay. Um, so, a couple Sundays ago, you were talking about the different tribes and how the Jews came from the tribe of Judah. Um, what about all the other tribes? They, if they were all Israelites, are, are they not considered Jews? And, and what, if not, then what um, ethnic groups do they make up now or what nationalities? Okay, okay, so that's a good question. It's kind of complicated. So this whole question goes back to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel settled down in the Holy Land and they partitioned the land according to Joshua. So they each got their territory, some on the other side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan, and some on the west side of the Jordan, uh, which is what's called the West Bank now, and then also in the south, uh, and in the north. So uh, they used to uh, be spread out. Now what happened is, if you kind of have read your Old Testament history, there was always a little bit of tension between them. And King David unified all the tribes. And when he came into, so there was King Saul who was the first king. And King Saul was not supposed to be a king, but the people wanted a king. They said, we don't want God to be our king. We want to have a military leader like all the other people. And so God said, you know, to Samuel, don't worry. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to give them a king. And so that was King Saul. King Saul didn't obey properly. And so in his place came King David. And King David was very good because he conquered Jerusalem and unified the tribes. So they were pretty unified. And then Solomon comes along as the, as the son of David and continues the unification. I'm getting cold air. Is there AC on? Okay, we didn't pay the bill. If, if you could turn it off, that would be great. I'd rather get the hot air from Phil's side. That would be great. <laughs> so, so King Solomon kept the unification, but he, kept, he, he, he taxed the people very hard. And this is what God warned about. He said, the king is going to tax you a lot. And so King Solomon built all kinds of cities. He had horses and chariots, maidservants and servants, and he built out the infrastructure, but it was very heavy taxation. But when he died, his son Rehoboam took over. And, and the people came to Rehoboam and said, you know, we, we don't want this heavy taxation. Please ease our burden and we'll be your servants forever. 
Well, like a good young man, he consulted uh, his friends to see what he should do. And his friends, being young, said, not only tax them, but tell them you're going to tax them even more. So they'll be in subjection to you. And the old people said, no, just be nice to them and be as nice as possible. Well, being young, he listened to the young men. And he said, my father's, my, my finger is thicker than my father's thigh. That was the expression, which means it's pretty heavy. And it's going to come down heavy on you people. So you better obey. Well, they didn't obey, and the ten tribes split off. And from that time on, they were split. They had their own jurisdiction. They had their own, they set up their own king. And they were split from the southern tribes, which was mainly Judah, but also some other tribes like Benjamin and, and some of the others, uh, a little bit of, of Levites. So now what happens is the king over the north is Jeroboam, and he said, listen, we can't have the center of worship in Jerusalem. That gets everybody going down to Jerusalem. That's the southern. We've got to have our center up here. So he went back to the old-time religion and set up two golden calves up north, right? That's what they had when they came out of Egypt. Remember, Moses goes up to the mountain and they have two golden calves. Well, this is what they know. This is the good-time religion. So they, they, they put up two golden calves. And from then on, you know, they're pretty much pagan. But every once in a while, the prophets come around and said, no, you have to worship the true God, you know, and then they kill a prophet or they imprisoned them or something like that. Well, this goes on for years and years until, and God sends warnings to them and warnings and warnings which they don't heed. And so in about 720 BC, God gives them over to the Assyrians and he warned them. And the Assyrians weren't very nice people. They dragged the uh, prisoners behind by their, by their noses, you know, with hooks in their noses, and, and naked behind the, the train of horses and camels and all of that. So the Assyrians came in, and you can actually go, if you go to Israel, you can go visit various archaeological sites, and you see where the city has been wiped out. There's a layer where the city's been wiped out because of the Assyrians that came in. And the Assyrians, what they did, is they said, in order to weaken the people, we're going to take them and put them somewhere else. And so they took a lot of the Israelites and left only the very poor people to farm the land. And they took the Israelites and, and put them in, in, around the Syria. And from that time on, because they didn't have any strong national religion except this paganism, they were basically lost to history. So you'll always hear this puzzle as where did the ten tribes go? And, and there's various people that show up in history, like in Japan or in Burma, and they say we're part of the lost ten tribes. But you don't really know that because they could have been influenced by Jews later on that spread out throughout the world. So nobody knows where these lost ten tribes. And there's uh, some crazy theory, you know, out there circulating that you might hear, that the lost ten tribes are Britain and America. 
<laughs> so, you know, there's all kinds of theories where the lost ten tribes were, but none of them really hold up very much. And basically it's because they had no culture, culture coming from the word of cult. They didn't have a, a godly center of worship that was different than the pagans, and so they just got absorbed into wherever the pagans were. Now, what happened is in the south, the Jews were left over, and Benjamin and a few other peoples, and from then on, even though they were called, they were the, mainly the tribe of Judah, they were called Jews. And, but they were also known as Israel because that was the only Israel that was left. So you'll see this mixture of terms that's a bit ambiguous. Sometimes they're called Israel, sometimes they're called Judah. And, and there were some other, you know, various pieces of the tribes that went down. So they're kind of even sometimes referred to as the, the, ten, the 12 tribes because Simeon might have been there and Benjamin might have, I mean, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. A few remnants were left over in that southern tribe. So they're kind of referred to as Israel. So the Jews that you know today, excuse me, <clears throat> are, are the leftover of, of the Israelites. Now, they weren't good either because they saw their northern brothers be carried off and they kept the true worship in Jerusalem so they had the sacrifices and all of that but they mixed it in with, with Baal worship. It's called syncretism. Syncretism is when you take a little bit of your religion and you mix it in with another religion because it's comfortable. And Christians do that today, right? You take Christianity and then you mix it in with some other ideas. So that's what they did. They, they, they had Baal worship uh, and then they had the worship of the true God and they would mix it up because they lived with the Canaanites. And so what happened is they had also warnings of prophets and various, and this is what Christ refers to. He says, many prophets came and warned you. And they, in the end, a hundred years later, a little bit more, 650 or 600 BC, a little about 650 BC, the Babylonians who had taken over from the Assyrians with Nebuchadnezzar and uh, various other people even before Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and, and took Judah away. So they did the same thing as the Assyrians did, except that God said there had to be a remnant of Jews because the lineage of Christ had to come through the Jews. So they couldn't disappear completely. And so that's where God kept the promise. So they kept their faith in Babylon. And one of the Psalms says, by the waters of Babylon, there we wept. You know, because they were taken away. They said, how can we sing the Lord's song in Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon, right? And so there was a lot of sadness. But God made sure that his promise was fulfilled because later the, the Persians took over and, and, and the Medes and King Cyrus rose up and he said, I'm going to release the Jews 70 years later to go back and to build their, rebuild their temple. And not everybody wanted to go back. By, the, by that time, people had families. They established themselves. So there was always a strong Jewish community in Babylon. But many of them went back and started to rebuild the temple with the stones that were broken down and all of that. And that was about uh, maybe about 500 BC. So the Babylonian king wanted them to go back? and build The, the Syrian king. The... the, uh, the um, 
Persian and Median, Median king. And, and why, what was his motivation behind that? His motivation was, and we don't fully know, but he, he wanted to liberate people and he wanted people to be free. Uh, to go back to their homeland, and, and he didn't. He wasn't threatened by that, like the Babylonians were. They said these people are going to rise up against us, so we'll just remove them from the land. Okay. He wasn't threatened by them. <clears throat> and so later, in that context, you have when the Jews were living out there, you have the Book of Esther, where the Esther delivers her people because, yeah. you know, they wanted to kill the Jews out in 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 diaspora. Right. So this spreading of the Jews all over the world set the stage for the gospel and that's what you find when you come to the gospels because some of the Jews came back and rebuilt the temple and then eventually Herod comes along and really builds it up beautifully just before Christ comes on the scene but in the meantime lots of Jews were dispersed all over the world in Italy and France and uh, you know and so in the book of Acts Jews come from all over the world to worship at the temple in Jerusalem but because these Jews are all over the world what do they have with them their languages they brought no they don't they each have they they lost Hebrew so they each speak their own language right. if you remember the book of Acts they each speak all these their own languages but what do they have in common the Torah the Torah and they have the scriptures and so those scriptures are very important for Christianity because St. Paul where does he go he goes to Jewish synagogues and he starts preaching in the synagogues and sometimes the Gentiles hear him and, and, and they need the scriptures and who has the scriptures? The Jews. So this was very important for Christianity when, when St. Paul goes and preaches and the scriptures were by that time in Greek because everybody spoke all these different languages, you know. Babylonians spoke Babylonian. Uh, people in Rome spoke Rome. Uh, 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 Latin, thank you. Uh, I was going to say Roman. Latin. And, um, and so on. But the one thing they had in common is everybody could speak a little Greek. And so they had the Greek scriptures. And so the Gentiles could also read the Greek scriptures. And when they became Christian, they became kind of, they joined the Jewish people by being Christian. Right? Because they were the descendants of the people of God. Yeah. And so that's how the scriptures came into the church. Uh, one other question. Um, of all the cultures that God could have picked, has he given us to know why he picked this, the Israelis? Was there something about unique about their culture or their, develop, their uh, sophistication or something? Why did he pick uh, them? Do we I wish that? that was true, but the, the opposite is true. He picked them because they were the lowest of all people and maybe the stubbornest of all people. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Are you being serious? No, I'm serious. Because he said, he said, I picked you, I picked you because I loved you. That's what the scriptures say. I picked you because I loved you. And I loved your fathers and I promised them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I would follow through and, and, and pick you as their descendants. Because if you remember, where, where does God deliver them from? Egypt. And what were they in Egypt? Slaves. They worked seven days a week. They didn't have time for anything. They had lost their knowledge of religion. 
I mean, they just knew Egyptian religion pretty much by that time. That's where they got the golden calves. And uh, so they were very, very uh, lost. And, and in addition to that, like some of our kids, they were extremely stubborn. <laughs> and, and some of us. <laughs> Not your kids. Your kids are nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, hold on a second. So, you know, one of the descriptive terms in the scriptures is stiff-necked, right? Stiff-necked. So, as soon as they come out, I mean, they come out from Egypt, they're delivered from Egypt, and then what do they say when they're in the wilderness? We like the leeks and onions that we used to have in Egypt. That was good. <laughs> so they forgot that they were like beaten and slaves and building all kinds of things. They forgot all of that. But they, and they were ready to stone Moses. At some point he, he complains to God. He says, what am I, uh, a milkmaid that I should nurse these, these, you know, these people? He says, you gave them to me and they're a burden. You know, they complain to me all the time. So, so it's actually the opposite, unfortunately, is he chose them because it showed, you know, that they, um, that they were that they were the opposite of, of being nice. In fact, if you ever want to see what Israelites were like, you have to watch uh, Lawrence of Arabia, the tribes in the desert, you know? If somebody does something bad like steal or uh, commit adultery or something like that, you know, they'll stone him. So that's the kind of context that the law comes into. It's very uh, hardened people, very stubborn people. In fact, the Israelite brothers, you know, uh, their sister was raped. Well, God was trying to teach them later proportional justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But they didn't have that. They went and wiped an entire town out because their sister was raped. So it was very disproportionate justice. Um, so they were a proof of concept. They were a proof of concept. <laughs> so Father is right in that Adam, the, 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 the graph is like this. Things started Adam, and then Adam and Eve fall, and things get worse and worse and worse until the flood. And then it slowly, you know, through Abraham, there's a little bit of light of God that comes in, Noah, then Abraham, and then, you know, and then through Jake, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then they go down to Egypt, and, and God delivers them and gives them a little bit more light, so. I would just say, as an empiricist, you observe the reality around him, human history, human behavior, there wasn't so much stubbornness and complaining and misbehavior, I think the whole thing is high sport. Yes. Right. It's, it's very real. Right. It's very real. So here's the interesting thing that when God gives gifts, they can't be repented of. So these are these are tribal people. These are tribal people. And they didn't have education. They were people in the desert. 
they were stubborn, they were angry, all of that. And yet, these are the people that carried the scriptures and the law, and through that law became educated. And they learned to debate the law, and through that the Jews became uh, kind of a very people of the book, and learned to talk about law and debate law, and, and through that they became you know, very educated and also kind of lawyers and business people and all of that. So all of that was through the gift of God originally to give them the law, because before that they were nothing. They were just some tribe in the desert that was practically lost. And you kind of see that gift of God on the fishermen, the 12 apostles. They're very ignorant. They don't have a lot of education. They're just simple fishermen. But yet by the time of Pentecost, they're able to stand up and give the most powerful sermon. You know, so God raises up people through what he gives them. And these are blessings. And if we ignore those blessings, we ignore the gifts of God. Even for us today, you know, we, we have blessings. Each one of us has gifts and blessings that other people don't have. And we, if we either ignore our own blessings or ignore other people's blessings, that the gifts that they have, then we're kind of, we lose out on the blessings that God gives people. I had a... Go ahead. Tell me if I'm wrong about this conception here. I haven't really heard this theory, but about the acceptance of icons. Um, when I look at Judaism today and the Phariseeism today, the idea of, in, in the past, the idea of, of icons would be completely verboten. Um, but yet when I see, uh, was a Hellenistic um, uh, synagogues that will have depictions and things on the wall and frescoes and stuff. So is our iconography kind of, not as a style, but as a concept, is that sort of the, taken over from Hellenistic Judaism more than um, Israeli Judaism? Okay, so just a correction for you and for Phil. The term Israeli is used typically of modern Jews in Israel. So Israeli is more the state of Israel. Israelite refers to the ancient Israelites. And they're very different because they went through a long history. Now, to comment, to give you a background, modern Judaism is actually quite different than ancient Hebrew religion. So we kind of refer to it as Judaism, but it's very different. So let's list some of the differences. Number one, ancient Hebrew religion had sacrifices. When the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, as Christ prophesied it would be, sacrifices were ended. And after that, Christianity grew to such an extent that, that people can't even imagine, unless you live in the jungle somewhere, people don't really go back to animal sacrifices. Every once in a while you'll meet somebody who wants to sacrifice a chicken, you know, but that's like very rare, or some goat or something like that. Most people have been so influenced by Christianity that there's not much animal sacrifices these days, but it used to be very common in the ancient world. And that's why God allowed the people to have animal sacrifices. So when the temple was destroyed, that's one thing that was removed from Judaism, they don't have temple they don't have animal sacrifices but they don't have Christ either so you're kind of left with a, an emptiness that wasn't in in ancient hebrew religion 
The other thing is, there's been lots of things that developed in, in Judaism that we have all kinds of modern influences, like you may have heard of Kabbalah, which is a kind of a bizarre mysticism where you talk about the female nature of God and uh, and and then various parts of God, and it developed in the Middle Ages. Also, Judaism has been influenced by its anti-Christian stance, because when when the Jews rejected Christ, they put their foot down, and the way they put their foot down is. First of all, they assembled the scriptures after the temple was destroyed. And they said, only these are the scriptures, only the ones that were written in Hebrew or Aramaic. No Greek scriptures, even though some of those were written by Jews. So they didn't accept every, any of the what we call the apocryphal books. They didn't accept any of the uh, Septuagint. So t Jews today don't use the Septuagint, they dismiss it. Even though it was Jews that translated the Septuagint into Greek, but they, they deny it, they, they reject that. So Luther, when he came along, he just said, okay, what are our scriptures? So he talked to a rabbi, he said that these are the, our scriptures, so he didn't have the other books that the Orthodox accepted, which the Jews also accepted at the time of Christ. But they were written in Greek like some of the book of the Maccabees and other books, right? That we accept as scriptures. So it was, so they put their foot down. Another thing that they put their foot down is they said, no, the Old Testament does not talk about Christ at all. So they reinterpreted, you know. Uh, now there's this kind of weird rumor that goes around. Uh, you hear it once in a while that the Jews change the scriptures. Uh, to be anti-Christian, but that's not the case because we have the scriptures apart from the Jews. We have the Septuagint, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, so we know that they didn't change very much. But they changed the interpretation. They said, no, 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 you know, Isaiah 53 doesn't, doesn't refer to Christ. Uh, the suffering servant. It doesn't refer to Christ. So things like that. Can you just hold that? We get one question here. Yes, and that's why the scriptures were translated into Greek. Nobody knew. First of all, Hebrew was kind of a lost language, even in Palestine. Because they had gone to Babylon, remember, they were exiled. And you live there 70 years, your kids are not going to know the language. It's very hard to keep up your language when you leave the culture and the people and all of that. Now, uh, so they lost the Hebrew language. They kind of knew it from reading it, but not really spoken Hebrew. They were speaking Aramaic, which was the language of all of the Middle East. So there's still some people in Syria and others that speak Aramaic, the old Aramaic of Christ. And that, that's where they made the movie uh, about Christ, using that old Aramaic that Christ, was very close to what Christ would have spoken. So Aramaic is a Semitic language. Like Hebrew, like Arabic, Aramaic, they're all similar. Okay, they're very different than our language, which is Indo-European language. Sorry, did I answer that? And you had a question about the Messiah. Yeah, if they, if they were reinterpreting stuff, did they reinterpret the Messiah out of the whole 
Yes, but they only took the Messiah. They only take today those Jews that believe in the Messiah. And not many, many believe in the Messiah. Most Jews are very modern, and they don't believe in the Messiah. But those that do uh, say, you know, he has to come as a ruling king and change the world. Those are the prophecies in the Old Testament that they accept. And they said, there's, therefore, there's no way he could have come on a cross and died on a cross. That's ridiculous. I'm still curious about this icon question. Oh, yeah, so the, I didn't answer that. So, sorry, thank you. Yeah, let me, sorry. So, modern Judaism is different than ancient Judaism, uh, than ancient Hebrew religion. Hebrew religion allowed for some things to be carved out, like the cherubim on the mercy seat were carved out. Because they were seen. They, were, they, they knew... They could be depicted because they, they had actually interacted. Right, and seen them or, or at least represented. It wasn't, there wasn't a problem. The problem is you can't split the sentence, you shall not make an idol and bow down to them. That thing goes together. Don't make an idol and bow down to it. You can't just say don't make an idol. I mean, don't make a carved image, right? So, but, but they separate those two things. They say don't make a carved image and don't bow down to it. Well, but... But that's not what ancient Hebrew religion, they could make carved images. And they could also have depictions on the, on the temple uh, curtain. They had depictions of various things on the temple. And synagogues had depictions. So it wasn't a problem. Depictions were not a problem in ancient Hebrew religion. Later, almost as an anti-Christian stance, they said absolutely no depictions in the synagogue. And then the Muslims that learned from their religion from the Jews, at least to some snapshot of it, the Muslims came along in 600 AD and said, oh, that's what these Jews believe. One God, no images. So the Muslims today also have one God and no images. Did I answer? Sorry, did I make the answer? Go ahead. So that if you want the closest thing to ancient Jews, you should go to an Orthodox Jewish, visit an Orthodox Jewish synagogue. So the others are the kind of thing that happened in Christianity, which is, you know, uh, there's conservative Jews, which are no longer conservative, and there's liberal Jews, reformed Jews, which are very reformed. So various ideas came through history. For example... Oh, we need women in various positions, right? And in the ancient priesthood, just like the priesthood, it wasn't a question of women's role versus not women's role. It was that the priest had to be a male figure because he prefigured Christ, as we now know. So anyways, modern Judaism introduced women, so they wear the same things as men, do things like that. And then... Uh, Today, modern Judaism accepts uh, various sexual behaviors, you know, whether it's uh, bisexual or homosexual or various things. So that's a modern innovation because uh, the Orthodox Jews never accepted that. Uh, there are things like that, innovations. Now, that you even find Jews that don't even believe in God, but they still have a synagogue and everything. Because... 
So I, I went to a Passover service one time, and we were sitting around, ten of us, and, and we were doing the Passover, which is a, a liberation from Egypt. And if you ever get a chance to sit at a Passover service, you should try to do that because it's very educational. But somebody asked me, do you believe in God? And I was, you know, did a double take and I said, yeah, I believe in God. And they said, oh, because nobody here believes in God. <laughs> so I said, okay, so why are you doing the Passover? Oh, because it's a symbol of freedom. So... So here's the problem, if, you, if we can do this in like three minutes. So God is both transcendent and imminent. Transcendent means God is outside of the world. He's greater than the world. If the world tomorrow would disappear, God would still be here, right? So God is greater than the world. That's what transcendence means. At the same time, God is infinite, so He can be imminent. He can come down and walk among us as He did in the Garden of Eden and as He did as Christ. Now, you have to have both of those things about God. The intimacy of God and the fact that God is beyond and can create and do anything He wishes to do. When you eliminate the Incarnation, it was always like uh, kind of in there in, in, in ancient Hebrew religion. There was always a possibility that there could be an incarnation, but it was never clear. But it wasn't ruled out. When, when, when Judaism rejected Christ, incarnation was ruled out. So in Judaism today, there's no possibility of incarnation. They say, God cannot become a man. So when you do that, you eliminate the intimacy of God. Even more than, you know, Abraham talks to God and has intimacy with God. Adam has intimacy with God. So you find a lot of Jews struggle with this issue of intimacy. Because God is transcendent. He's so great. Who can understand Him? So I've had friends that say, you know, God is so great. Who can understand Him? Which we would say is only partially true. There's some aspect of God, because of His intimacy, that is understandable. So, when you eliminate that, God becomes far away. And so a lot of modern Jews become Buddhists because it's more intimate, or become, uh, you know, they have a hard time becoming Christian because it's built in to reject Christianity. Yeah, if they believe in the scriptures, which many modern Jews don't really, they, they kind of abstract it away. So they may have been reformed. Were they reformed? Reformed is very, it's like, you know, Episcopal Church or, you know, Unitarians or something like that. Episcopal is probably better than the Unitarians, I think. But, you know, they're, they're kind of secular, and if you try to pin them down, what do you believe about the scriptures? They won't have a good answer. So, but if you work with Orthodox, you can actually, they're really sincere about their belief in the, in the Bible and in the faith. 
So you might have that common ground, like they believe in the Ten Commandments, they believe to be a moral person, they believe that God loves people. But you know, you might have some questions that, that may, they may not be able to answer, like why don't they believe in making the whole world Jewish? Because God said, you know, this message is going to go to the whole world, even in the Old Testament. But Jews today are very, they don't believe in proselytizing. They discourage people from becoming Jews. But, but their mission work is usually not teaching them about the, a faith. It's usually helping humanitarian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, Christians cooperate with Jews on humanitarian level to help the poor. You know, they have very good, like they'll have hospitals, Mount Sinai Hospital, the Jewish General Hospital, various hospitals, just like the Catholics. They do a lot of charitable works. You know, so, so from that point of view, we, we do cooperate. Christians do cooperate with Jews. But it's very hard because they won't allow, many of them will not allow themselves for the possibility of an incarnation. Because they say an infinite God cannot become finite. But the problem is the theology is very limited when they do that. Because God is infinite, He can become finite. You know, in, in humanity. Because He doesn't diminish His infinity by becoming human. And that's what we teach. We teach that God is unchanging by the fact that he became incarnate. So, uh, yes, Islam got it from Judaism. Islam was, you know, just a pagan moon, moon religion before. And Muhammad met a Jew, he met a Christian, and he said, oh, some of these ideas sound good. You know, one God instead of many gods. Don't eat pork, don't drink alcohol. Well, they didn't say that, but, you know, uh, you know, things like that. So Islam got it from, from Judaism and Christianity. I'm getting the three fingers. <laughs> Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Phil. Right. 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 So Orthodox Jews are probably the closest to us. Yeah. Because they actually believe in the scriptures and they believe in, in morality and all of that. I have my original question. You talked about the 
Okay, no. So remember that the ten tribes were taken away? Well, uh, the Assyrians were, didn't leave the land so animals would come in. So they brought in other peoples that they had conquered. They kind of switched populations. So they brought in other people that they conquered into that land. Now in those days, the gods stayed with the land. So if you come into a land whose god is X, you start worshiping X. Right? Because that's why Jonah ran away, because God is supposed to stay with Palestine. Right? God is not supposed to go outside. So, so in those days, God is local. And so this, these people came in and they say, what's the religion of the land? And they told them, well, Yahweh, you know, and maybe some other things. So they built a temple to Yahweh. To, and so they had their own temple. And, so, and, they, and they said, what's the scripture? What's, oh, we have these scriptures. So there's the Samaritan Pentateuch. They copied out the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, into the Samaritan language. And so that's a valuable manuscript that we use today to, to determine the manuscripts of the Bible. Because they copied that out. So today, there are still Samaritans left. There's very few, like a few hundred Samaritans left. Where? Up in the Samaria area, northern Israel. Yeah. And they do the old thing, which is kill a lamb and, and put the blood on the lintels. You can look it up on YouTube, uh, their Passover ceremony. They kill a lamb. Yeah. Is the temple still in? No, no, it's not. I actually don't know what happened to it. I think it was neglected over time. What about like the, um, I know like the name Cohen, isn't that supposed to be like from a priest? A priest family within the tribe? Like Kuri for Lebanese is the name of the priest. Like Kuri. Well, people with the last name Cohen, that, that. No, I'm just saying, no, I'm with you. I'm just saying like. like in Arabic. In Arabic. Kuri is priest. So you have Korea and but there are people with the same last name. Yeah. Cohen is the Hebrew word for priest. Yeah. So they were, so you, you find today Cohen, so, so they're one of the rare tribes that we still know who they are. Cohen, Kuhn, uh, all of those with a K or a C. So what about this? And Le Levy, Levinsky, all of those also, Levites. Yeah. So the Sadducees disappeared because the temple, they, they were guardians of the temple. And, and, and so when the temple disappeared, they were gone. So the only ones that were left were the Pharisees. And that's why today modern Judaism is Pharisaic, but doesn't have a temple. Okay, I got zero time. Thank you, everybody. All right. <laughs>